please turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1 with me. Matthew chapter 1, we're going to look at Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus. And as you turn there, just again, special welcome to those of you who may be visiting with us this morning. We're excited to have you. And also just an invitation to come back tomorrow evening as we celebrate Christmas Eve together. We're excited about that opportunity. It'll be at 6 o'clock. It's just a great kind of a family time, a little more casual, and we'll just be singing some songs and a short devotional message. And so it's, it's just a joy to be able to uh, have that annual tradition of, of uh, welcoming Christmas uh, or beginning to welcome Christmas in together as a church family. And then uh, also next week, just as a reminder, things are a little bit different next week. We're going to, during the 9 o'clock hour, have kind of a family time. We're going to be uh, talking about uh, some just some family business type things. We've, we've mentioned before that we're, uh, as we think about uh, our, our immediate future and how we're going to use the space, we're going to be uh, talking about our contract with Five Points and just getting your affirmation on some things there. And we're going to be talking about a new discipleship tool that we're hoping to use in 2013. And so that's exciting. And then, of course, we're going to be doing some some baptisms. And so we're uh, excited about that as well. So it's going to be a, a fun time in you know, that 9 o'clock hour. And then our worship service is going to be at 1030. So if, you know, this time. So that, that's going to be when our worship uh, service is next week. And we're excited about um, kind, of a, a, kind of a fun way to end 2012 next Sunday. Well, if you are there in Matthew chapter 1, and if you're able, if you'd stand with me in honor of God, as we read his word together. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, as we look at the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his, Mary, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. You may be seated. We would be encouraged strengthened by God's word and excited to live in obedience to it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time of worship together this morning. We thank you for just uh, the, the opportunity to meditate upon the truths of Christmas, the miracle of the incarnation of God with us, of you with us. And open our hearts now, we pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. It's our custom the Sunday before Christmas, our Christmas Sunday service, for me to, to preach a little bit of a shorter message and for Mike to spend that extra time helping us worship the Lord through, through music. And I, I guess I should say, 
it's our custom for me to tell Mike that I'm going to preach a shorter message, and then I tend to take the time that I was going to take anyway. But uh, what we're doing this morning is I'm trying to, to, to look at just, just one idea. There's one thing I want to communicate in our time together this morning as we look at Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, kind of one sentence, and we're going to look at the first part of the sentence, and then we're going to look at the second part of the sentence. The, the sentence is simply, we live in dark times, but Emmanuel. And we're going to focus on the first part of that sentence first. We live in dark times. We live in dark times, but Emmanuel, but God with us. We live in dark times. Let's think about that idea first. We'll see it here in Matthew chapter 1 as well, won't we? A few weeks ago, one of my sons asked if he could sleep in the basement. I kind of thought about it for a second, and I'm kind of a protective dad. I I like all my family there on the second floor, and before I go to sleep, I I go around and I check on each kid and, and, you know, uh, know, slap them around a little bit, make sure they're breathing and things like that. And uh, so I said, well, uh, there's no reason why not. Okay, I guess so. And so goes down there and climbs in the bed we just put down there and and begins to, to prepare for bed. And then I get ready for bed, and then I go in and I check on each of my kids, and the three kids upstairs are sleeping. Then I walk all the way down to the first floor, then all the way down to the basement, kind of groping around in the dark, and I find the bed, and I, I uh, find my son, and, and he's still wide awake, you know, eyes like saucers there in the night. I said, hey, hey, hey buddy, you doing okay? Yeah. He <laughs> says, it's pretty dark down here, huh? Yeah, yeah, it is. And then he said this, and I, it, was, it was a statement that really resonated with me, and I'm kind of laying there on the bed next to him, and we're we're surrounded by the darkness, and he said, you know, in the dark, or it feels here in the basement like the whole house is going to fall in on me. <laughs> and I looked around, and you know, we're in the dark, and two stories are above us, and I said, yeah, it does, but that's nothing compared to the rats. No, I didn't say that. I, but I thought that that's a great phrase. You know, it feels like the whole house is coming in on me when I'm here in the basement. And, and, and you and I, we live in a dark world, don't we? And we live in dark times, and sometimes it feels like the whole world is, is coming down on us. The whole house is, is potentially going to, to cave in on us. We live in dark times. We live in a dark world globally, right? Uh, today, if today is an average day in the world... 21,000 children under the age of five will die today. 21,000 children under the age of five, largely from preventable causes. One in 143 children in a developed world will, will fail to reach age five. One in 143. In places like Southern Asia, one in 15 children die before reaching the age of five. In a place like sub-Saharan Africa, one in eight children will die before reaching the age of five, largely from preventable causes. Seven and a half million children will die this year before reaching the age of five. What is that? That's a dark world. We live not just in a a dark world, but we live in in a dark nation Yesterday, the last of the victims from the Newtown, Connecticut shooting were laid to rest. There are children who will not receive 
the Christmas gifts that are perhaps still under their tree in Connecticut this year. And parents will be struggling this week to come to terms with the dark, dark world we live in. We live in a dark state. The city of Chicago, 500 people are going, were murdered this year. We live in a dark world, it's a dark nation, it's, it's a dark location that we find ourselves in, but we also live in dark times just in terms of, of interpersonal relationships, and, and there are things that are going on in your life, they're never going to make the news, we're not going to announce them from church, they're not going to be a newspaper or anything, but, but you are living in a dark time. There's a, a relationship at, at work that's, that's very dark, there's a situation at work that's dark, there's relationships at school that, that reflect the darkness of the world that we live in. Your finances are overwhelming. It feels like the house is going to come in on you in that way, in the darkness. And you know what? You don't even have to go into terms of interpersonal relationships or things without, without you to realize the darkness. All you need to do to realize that we live in a dark world is to look inside your own heart, right? This morning, if I were to ask you to, to look inside the things you're, you're struggling with in your own heart, you would tell me, man, I, it's a dark world. I struggle with, with anger, or I struggle with, with, with lust, or greed, and materialism. There's the things that are in my heart that are sometimes brought out, I'm just shocked by. We live in a dark, dark world. And here in Matthew chapter 1, we're introduced to a young man who is going through some dark times, isn't he? We're first introduced to Joseph in verse 16. In Matthew chapter 1, these, these first 17 verses are going through a genealogy. They're describing the, the, the beginnings of Jesus Christ. That word in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 1 that's translated genealogy means beginnings. And so he's going through and he's showing us the beginnings of Jesus, uh, his origins. And in verse 16, we find out about Jesus' parents, that Joseph, his adopted father. And then we, we hear about Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who's called the Christ. And then as we come to verse 18... The writer, Matthew, tells us a little bit more about what's going on at the beginning of, of Jesus Christ's life on earth. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his, Mary, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Perhaps... In our 21st century culture, it's hard for us to understand the depth of Joseph's darkness here. The way in which people get married in our culture is different than the way that people got married in Joseph and Mary's culture. Now, when I say our culture, I understand that in a room this big, many of us come from different types of backgrounds, and so when I say our culture, I guess I should say my culture, the, what I am used to, the culture that I grew up in, and how uh, I handled dating and getting married and things like that. So, so let me just kind of describe a little bit of my culture, and maybe you can see how it's, it's at odds with the culture at which, in which Mary and Joseph 
grew up in. And I think our temptation is to say that our culture is the norm. We say, okay, the culture that I live in is, does things the right way, and the culture that other people have lived in, um, those cultures do things strange ways. And, and in reality, I think when it comes to getting married, there's some aspects of our culture that are, that are strange. And this morning, I'm not standing up here saying, okay, uh, my Christmas message is a, a treatise on how to get married properly. Um, these are just some of my thoughts that I think are related to helping us understand the strangeness of this culture. It's a little bit of a sidetrack, but maybe it's a Christmas present to those of you who are single. I don't know. Um, here, here's, here's kind of the, the strange things about the culture that I grew up in in terms of dating. What you have is you have a situation where a young man and a young woman, sometimes very young, can say, uh, we kind of like each other. We see some things in each other that we like. Maybe it's just see. Maybe it's just we, we like some aspects about each other. And so we want to enter into a relationship. And so they begin doing something we call dating or, or going out or being boyfriend and girlfriend. And, and this, it's a very strange thing because in our culture, two people can say we're going to start dating. And as they, as they make that declaration to each other or to their friends or something, there's a commitment in a sense. What they're saying is we're not going to be dating other people. And they're saying we're going to allow there to be a special type of intimacy between us, be it emotional or physical to some degree or, or whatever. But at the same time, and I think this is the strange part, at the same time, you can enter into this relationship and you become very emotionally invested in this person. There can be this intimacy that develops. And then whenever one party or both parties says, you know what, eh, I'm done, they can walk away from this relationship in which intimacy has been developed and there's no harm, no foul in culture's eyes. I think there's some really unhealthy elements to that. And again, my, my purpose this morning isn't to, to develop some new system or a legalistic system on how you should do this, but I think there's some dangers to that, right? And I think in our culture in which relationships are so casual and you can come together and then you can leave and, and come together and leave lots of different people and get emotionally invested in I think it's hard for us to understand the, the depth of Joseph, Joseph's darkness here. You see, in Mary and Joseph's culture, it was a different type of commitment that took place when a, when a uh, couple got engaged. There wasn't dating that took place beforehand. What happened is uh, families would come together, an individual and a family would come together and say, you know, there's, these two people should get married. And so what would have happened here, most likely, is Joseph would have talked to Mary's family. And, and we know from Matthew and we know from the Gospel of Luke that both Mary and Joseph are really cool people. They're both righteous individuals. If you look at what Mary says in her, her praise to God in, Luke chapter, in, in the Gospel of Luke, you, you realize this Mary lady is a pretty remarkable young lady. She probably would have been about 16 years old. It's possible that she was young as, as 13, maybe as old as 18, but probably about 16 years old. And Joseph would have been about 18 to 21, and so they were both young. And from Luke, we see that Mary was a righteous individual, and from Matthew, we see that Joseph was a righteous individual. Both of these are very godly young people, and Joseph would have gone to Mary's family, or Joseph's family would have been involved in this process perhaps as well, and a, a contract, a contractual relationship would have been entered into. Joseph would pay at least part of a uh, bridal price, and Mary's family might have committed to give some sort of dowry to Joseph and Mary as they began. 
and they entered into this engagement period. And as they entered into this engagement period and began this new phase of the relationship, there was no physical relationship, and yet, in the eyes of their culture, they were committed to one another. They're so committed to one another that as Joseph thinks about um, ending this relationship, it's, it's termed divorce, and he's referred to as her husband in verse 19. There's this, this sense of real relationship, and as they go through the engagement process, what it is, it's a time in which both of them reflect upon their commitment that they're about to make, and they prove their faithfulness to one another during that time, but it's, it's proving faithfulness within the context of commitment. I don't think that, I think that's hard for us to understand in our culture today. They both would have been looking forward to that day in which there was a wedding. And the wedding would have been perhaps a seven-day celebration of these two young people coming into covenant relationship together. And Joseph and Mary both would have been greatly anticipating that time that wedding. The engagement period could last up to a year. And so we're sometime in that, in that engagement period in which both of them are going to show their, their righteousness. They're both going to show their, their patience and their, their perseverance in this relationship and their excitement about this, this wedding day. And in the midst of that time is when Joseph gets some very disturbing news, some very dark news. The news is that Mary is with child. Can you imagine the sense of betrayal that Joseph feels? I'm sure he feels all sorts of emotions. There's, there's betrayal, there's, there's despair, there's this, this vision that he had for their relationship together and, and the, the wedding that he was looking forward to in their life together. And, and now all that's, all that's gone in a moment. And he retires. It looks like he's having some time of, of private contemplation. It says in verse 20 that he's considering these things. Now, imagine that you've been betrayed by someone. My natural inclination, I, I think, when I'm betrayed is, is I, I want others to know that I've been betrayed. And I want to put forth my side and I want to show that, that I was in the right. And I want other people to be exposed for having been in the wrong. And in a culture like the culture that Mary and Joseph are in, in a culture of honor and shame, this would have been especially true. Joseph would have, have, would have to begin legal proceedings to terminate this relationship. And the temptation would be to expose Mary publicly. Hey, I was in the right here. Everyone see what, what Mary did. I, I'm just as hurt as everyone else. I can't imagine the shame that's been brought onto her family because of her actions. I am publicly divorcing her. Joseph is contemplating, contemplating going a different route. He's going to need two witnesses. He's going to need to appear before a judge or some sort of legal authority to come to a point where the contract they've entered into is, is voided. But he doesn't want public shame for Mary. He wants, he wants to do this quietly to prevent as much shame as possible for her. Why? Well, he's taking his time. He's a thoughtful person. 
Maybe that he's still in disbelief as he considers these things. Maybe, maybe he's just a gracious person. He's a righteous person. A righteous person understands grace. But whatever the cause, Joseph is contemplating what to do. And he's in a dark place. Perhaps the, the darkest moment of his life. As his life looks like it's going to take a much different turn than he thought it would a few days earlier. We live in dark times. Joseph lives in a dark world. You and I live in a dark world. And I think on this 23rd of December, a few days before Christmas, all of us can point to aspects of our lives where we say, boy, as, as joyful as I am, as grateful as I am to God to live in the world that I do and know the people that I do and and all those things, regardless of that, I also must affirm, realistically, that I'm also in a, a dark world. And I live in dark times in a dark world. So, that's the first part of the sentence that I want us to think about. Now, now here's the second part. We live in dark times, but Emmanuel. But Emmanuel, but God with us. What do we do with Joseph's darkness and, and your darkness and the world's darkness? And there's a lot of answers that, that people try to put forth as we confront the reality of living in a dark world. You know, we just need to have peace on earth or we need to have a little more Christmas cheer. In the, in the words of uh, one uh, movie elf, we need to uh, sing a song for, of Christmas cheer for all to hear or whatever, you know, to, in order to spread Christmas cheer. Um, th there's all sorts of answers that people have to the world's darkness. We need uh, less guns. We need more guns in order to prevent tragedy. There's all sorts of answers the world has for the darkness we live in. But the ultimate answer we see, the ultimate answer is Emmanuel, God is with us. And, and look at how there's divine intervention into Joseph's life. It says, as he's considering these things, verse 20, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is, is from the Holy Spirit. There's this divine intervention saying, Joseph, it's okay to pursue Mary as your wife. This is an act of God that has taken place in her life. And then we see that this divine intervention into Joseph's life is not just an intervention into his life, but into the lives of all of humanity. It says in verse 21, she's going to bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. God saves, for he will save his people from their sins. There's this divine intervention into Joseph's life that delivers him from his darkness. It doesn't totally remove the dark aspects of life, but it gives him light in that darkness and provides the answer to the darkness that exists within every human heart. The answer is Emmanuel. Verse 22 says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. As you go through Matthew chapter 1, what you see is that Matthew is revealing to us the divinity and the humanity of the Christ. He's revealing to us the divinity 
and the humanity of the Christ. So look again at the text. As as you come to verse 1, remember I said that word there, genealogy, means beginnings. And then you come to verse 18, and the word birth there means beginnings. And what he's doing in verses 1 through 17 is he's describing to us the very human nature of the Messiah. Jesus Christ is is fully human being, and here is his, his genealogical history. And when you come to verse 16, it's telling us that, that Jesus was, was born of a woman. He, was, he came into this world the same way that all of us have come into this world in terms of his, his physical body. He was, he was born. He, he has a DNA, and he has this genetic history. He is a human being, and here is his genealogy, and he's a, a son of David, and, and by his humanity has the right to be king. He's one of us. And then in verse 18, as he talks about the beginning of Jesus Christ, he's describing the way in which Jesus Christ is also divine and how the the divine entered into the human sphere. This is a child that was conceived through the work of the Holy Spirit, he says in verse 20. It's it's Emmanuel, it's, it's God with us, God entering into the human world, he says in verse 23. And in verses 24 and 25, we see that Joseph did as the angel of the Lord had commanded. There's a divine intervention into Joseph's life that's also a divine intervention into all of humanity. We live in dark times, but Emmanuel, but God with us. Now, what does Emmanuel mean? What does that mean practically for us as we contemplate the the miracle of the incarnation. Here's three thoughts that I just want us to think through this morning. Number one, what does Emmanuel mean? Number one, it means that in his deity, God is over us. In his deity, God is over you and me. You and I didn't need a buddy. We didn't just need some guy to come alongside us and say, hey, I I see you're kind of struggling with how to live this this human life. Let me come alongside you. Let me teach you some tricks I know, and let me show you how to be a super swell guy. That's not what I needed. That's not what you needed. Only God can save a person. Another human being in his, in his frailty or her frailty cannot come alongside you and save you. Salvation, Jonah tells us, salvation belongs to our God. Only God can save you. Only God can bear the, the penalty for sin. Isaiah 53, 6 tells us that, that God has laid on him, on the Messiah, the iniquity of us all. Only God can bear sin. When I was in uh, Maybe right after college, my parents bought me um, a uh, just kind of a, a class at the local community college on on uh, like golf instruction. So I took this this community college class on golf instruction. The first couple of weeks went went pretty well. The instructor was a really good teacher, and he was a good golfer. But he also knew how to how to teach and how to how to uh, instruct a person and how to swing the club and stuff like that. And so learning a lot. And then that guy decided, you know what? Uh, I don't want to teach this class anymore. And so he left and he sent his uh, high school son to teach the class. 
And his high school son was a, you know, a great golfer, but a terrible teacher. You know, had, had no idea how to teach. Now, to this day, I'm a terrible golfer because of that kid. And my incredible lack of hand-eye coordination, right? I didn't need just a, a really good golfer to come alongside me and say, hey, let me show you what I do. Here, here's, here's what I do. Maybe this will work. I needed, oh, well, I needed an act of God. But I, I, you know, I, needed a, I needed an instructor, someone who had the ability to, to teach and train at a deeper level. You and I didn't need just some buddy to come alongside of us and say, here's some suggestions I have for living a better life. We needed God. And Emmanuel, God with us, the, the first thing to think about is it's, it's, it's God with us. It's not just some guy with us. It's, it's God with us. The, the creator of the cosmos, who's over all things, is, is with us. In his deity, God is over us. Now, the second thing to think about when we think about Emmanuel is in his humanity, God is one of us. So in his deity, God is over us, but in his humanity, God is, is one of us. In fact, let me turn over to the book of Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, we read some very interesting things about the nature of Jesus Christ. Verse 14, the writer of Hebrews says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. So you and I are, are flesh and blood. We're, we're physical beings. And so God himself became a physical being. He partook in the same things. He, he became a part of the same dark world that you and I are living in. And it says that he did this, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. And verse 15 says, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation or satisfaction for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Now, there's so much there, right? We cannot be saved apart from an act of God. Only God can save. Only God can bear the penalty of sins. And so it's essential that as we think about the Christmas miracle of the incarnation, that, that God became one of us. But it's also essential that he become one of us. He is able to bear the penalty for our sin as one of us, as our representative. He's able to give us a new nature as one of our representatives. We can take upon us the nature of Christ. His righteousness can be, can be given to us, can be imputed to us. So we stand righteous before God. We receive the righteousness of the perfect man because God became man. In his humanity, God is one of us. In Hebrews 4, 14, he says, the writer of Hebrews goes on to say, Since then we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace 
that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Emmanuel, God with us, we can receive help from God in our time of need. What does Emmanuel mean? It means that in his deity, God is over us. It means in his humanity, he's one of us. It means, finally, that in his incarnation, God is is with us. Emmanuel, it means that God in his incarnation has become with us. What is the Christmas story about? So much of the Christmas story takes place in darkness, right? Joseph is literally and figuratively in a dark place here. It's it's night. He's dreaming. Uh, The angels appear to the shepherds at night as they're watching over their flocks. Joseph is going to have another dream later in the Christmas story. An angel is going to appear to him again at night. There's a lot of things that take place in, in darkness, in the Christmas story, we, we see that you and I are, are in darkness. The world is a dark place. We are living in a dark time, in a dark place, because of our sin. The darkness is not just without, the darkness is within. But in that darkness, through the miracle of the incarnation, God becomes one of us. And he lives in a dark time, in a dark place, with perfect and complete and total obedience and righteousness. He lives in darkness without being tainted by the darkness. He lives in absolute perfection. And then, as the absolute perfect representative of humanity, he dies in your place and my place for our sins. The Lord lays upon him the iniquity of us all. He dies in our place, is resurrected, and now God with us, Emmanuel, we have the opportunity through placing our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone to enter into a perfect eternal relationship with God. That's the thing I want you to think about this Christmas season. This week, you know, it's supposed to be this, this happy, joyful time. You know, you know what I you know I'm a cynical person perhaps, and so maybe you don't feel this way. Maybe you feel like this is the most wonderful time of the year, et cetera. You know, I think like this is this is the time of the greatest disappointments of the year. <laughs> you have these expectations and 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 surely that one day we can get it right. And you know what? You don't. <laughs> Those disappointments, you know, they seem greater on Christmas because you're like, boy, couldn't we just one day get it right or two days or this week? No, you can't. <laughs> But the beauty of the Christmas message is that even in dark times, even with the darkness in our own hearts and the hearts of the people we love, God's with us. And we can be rescued, we can be delivered from this domain of darkness by placing our faith in the Son of God, in Him alone, for our our salvation. Isn't that a beautiful thing? We live in dark times, yes, yes, yes. But 
Emmanuel. God is with us. He's with us in his son, Jesus Christ, who's fully God and fully man. And through faith in him alone, we can receive eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. And we thank you for the the miracle of the incarnation that allows you to be with us. And we pray that we respond in obedience and faith in you. In your son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen.